Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. all of you today. I'm Jared and uh, I'm the lead pastor. Um, I'm excited for today because we are continuing our Heroes and Villains message series, which is something we've been doing for the last few weeks. Uh, This is actually a returning series that we have done the last few years. Um, Essentially what it is is that we are going through stories that we see in scripture of uh, characters that are found throughout the story of the Bible. Many of them are familiar, some of them are unfamiliar, and so this gives us an idea of how the story of uh, how God relates to us as people and how we relate to God has been told throughout scripture. And the lessons that we see in the lives of the individuals that we're exploring actually have a lot to do with us. And so we're looking to see what our place in the story is in those Narratives, And so we began our series uh, earlier in the month by talking about the servant, the serpent in the book of Genesis. And we learned about the lies that were told in the garden essentially are the same lies that are told to us today and that we continue to struggle with and believe and it affects how we see God. Last week, uh, my wife, Pastor Heather, she taught about the story of Hannah. And how the message in the story of Hannah is to not give up in the things that are closest and dearest to our hearts that we come to him and continue to believe that God hears us even when it doesn't appear as though he's listening and to trust him for the things that are closest to our heart. And today we're going to be talking about Jonah, which is a very familiar story. And then next week we're going to finish off our series. Pastor Aaron is going to be teaching uh, of a man named Mordecai, who is an individual in the story of Esther, which a lot of us know the story of Esther, but not necessarily Mordecai, uh, Esther's cousin. So today we're going to be talking about Jonah. And most of us are probably familiar with the story of Jonah and the whale, right? How many of you have ever heard the story of Jonah and the whale? So this is a story that is so common, um, particularly one that's told during uh, Sunday school, right? Most of us, if we've grown up in church, have heard stories about Jonah and the whale, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, I promise you this is a different take on the story than you've ever heard before, or maybe that most of us probably have not heard before. Now, here's the thing about the story of Jonah is that most of us have heard it as a wonderful story of God's faithfulness and his love and his redemption and forgiveness in the face of disobedience, right? That's the idea of what we know of as a story of Jonah. The problem is, is that in recent times, and really for years, many people have struggled with the idea of the story of Jonah because of some of the claims in it that appear to be quite outlandish. The idea of an individual who was swallowed by a whale or a fish seems to be something that's impossible. That, along with other stories that happen throughout Scripture, my son asked me this months ago. He said, Dad, do you believe that the stories in the Bible are true? And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, I don't know. The things that happen that are like the miracle stories, like Moses and how um, oftentimes you'll see like in the Moses story where he, with the staff and the Red Sea is parted, or Jesus walking on water. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, they sound like fiction, like special effects in a movie. That's what he, that's kind of how he, uh, how he sees it. And that's how a lot of people, when they read the Bible, the reason they can't get through to what the Bible is teaching or they feel like it's irrelevant is because it feels like fiction. And so the story of Jonah, a lot of times people struggle with it in other passages because they can't get past that. But here's the thing, is that you're missing the entire point of the story of Jonah if you get hung up on the, on the fish, if you get hung up on the whale. And we're going to talk a little bit about, a little bit more about that today. 
Because the story of Jonah is really not a story about the whale at all. It's really about this. If you're taking notes, write it down. The story of Jonah is a story of prejudice and hatred competing against God's redemptive love. I'm going to say that again. The story of Jonah is not a story about a whale. It's really about a story of prejudice and hatred competing against God's redemptive love. And to understand that and why that is, we actually need to go to the book of Jonah. So if you guys would, take out your Bibles. The book of Jonah is near the end of the, of the Old Testament. It's right, before, right after Obadiah and right before the book of Micah. So Jonah chapter 1, we're going to begin our journey and understanding why it really is a story of prejudice and hatred competing against God's redemptive love. And it will also be on the screen here. And just as a side note, we also have Bibles for you. If you don't have a hard copy Bible that you can take with you any Anywhere, even when you don't have cell phone signal, I encourage you to pick one up outside at our uh, Connection Center or right outside of the chapel. We've got free Bibles. Take them, okay? Jonah 1, very first, first verse of Jonah chapter 1 says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah was a prophet who well, his job was to hear from God and then proclaim what God told him. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Imitai, and he said, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. So Jonah, being the good prophet that he he is, got up and fled to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Now, I want to give you a little bit of context here, okay? And this is probably the most familiar part of the story for most of us, right? So we are familiar, and if, in case you're not, I'm going to tell you what happens. Jonah gets on the ship, and he, they begin to sail out into the ocean, heading the opposite direction that God told Jonah to go to. And he's in the middle of the, the, the sea, and all of a sudden, a huge storm comes up and begins to rage. And the Bible tells us that the storm is so powerful that the ship was about to sink. So all the sailors, all the crew members on the boat are running around trying to figure out what to do, and they begin throwing all of the cargo overboard because the idea was is to make it lighter so that it wouldn't be sinking because the idea is is that the the, uh, waves were pushing against it and rocking it, and so this item, this, this, this boat was about to either overturn and capsize or was sinking because of the weight. However it was, they were throwing all the cargo overboard to save their lives. So they begin to feel like this is not working. So what do they do? They, they, start, they were a very spiritual group of people at the time. During this time, it wasn't a very humanistic society at all. And it didn't matter if they were Jewish or they were from another country. Every one of them had a God that they prayed to. So they believed that if there was something going on, there was this huge storm, we're going to die, that somebody on this boat had done something to anger a God, and therefore we got to find that person because the only way we're getting out of this and getting home or wherever we're heading is in order to find that person. So they, they, they go through a series of things. The Bible says they cast lots, which is kind of like rolling the dice to identify who it is. Could you imagine that for a second? Could you imagine if I'm just sitting on the boat and people are walking around with dice and they just throw it in front of me and they go, it's you. I'd be like, no, it's not. 
But here's the case, right? The Bible tells us that Jonah knows exactly what's happening. Jonah's taking a nap, right? The, the whole ship is rocking back and forth. If you've ever been on a cruise ship or on a boat when the, the waves are going, it definitely feels kind of strange. So Jonah, we don't know why he was sleeping, probably because he's like, I know this is my fault. I'm going to go hide underneath because I don't want to, you know. So they, they, the Bible says that they actually come and find Jonah, and they determined, the lots determined, that he was the source. And Jonah wakes up and goes, yeah, it's my fault. Like, sorry. Now, here's the interesting thing. Once they found out who Jonah was and the God that he served, they knew exactly what they had to do. Because they found out that Jonah served the God of Yahweh, which is our God. The name of God is Yahweh, which you see in the Old Testament, okay? Every one of them had their own gods, and every one of them were praying to their own gods for salvation here. But there was such a reputation, according to the Bible, such a reputation of the God of the, the Israelites, Yahweh, that when they found out that Jonah was, from the, was serving the God of Yahweh, they knew exactly what they had to do. They had to throw Jonah overboard. And that's what happened. So the Bible says that they stopped throwing all the stuff overboard and instead threw Jonah over the side. And as soon as that happened, the Bible says the storm stopped. So we know now the ship sails away. We don't know what happened. I'm assuming that they ended up somewhere where they were were trying to go. Jonah is stranded in the middle of the ocean, just floating around. And the Bible says that God sends a great fish, not a whale. A great fish is what the word translates to, to come and swallow Jonah. And I always wondered as a kid, how does this happen? How would he survive? What about oxygen? And this is the thing that most people get hung up on, right? But again, not the point of the story. So what happens? Jonah chapter 2. Jonah begins to pray, I cannot believe I'm stuck in the middle of this this fish. I'm going to die. He doesn't know that God wants to save him. All he thinks is that this is the end for me. The acids, stomach acids from this fish are going to kill me. Kind of like in Star Wars, poor Boba Fett down in the little Sarlacc pit, right? That's the idea. He thought it's over for him. And then he gives this big prayer, this poetic prayer that we see. And he says, God, forgive me. Save me. I'm sorry. And then what happens? It says that God sent the whale or the fish to spit him up on dry land. And that is where we're going to pick up the rest of our story. Now, remember I said to you that the story of Jonah is a story of prejudice and hatred competing against God's redemptive love. We're going to understand why in a minute, but it's so important for us to understand that what we're going to see is that not only was the hatred and prejudice in the beginning, it continues later on. Now, what happened? God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now, if you're like me, when I was a kid growing up in my dad's churches or uh, even as an adult, really, most of the stories that I read in the Old Testament or in the Bible, I assumed that they all took place in kind of the same area. I assumed that when Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, I didn't know any better. I thought that Nineveh was in Israel somewhere. Okay, I assumed that it was like, go to Nineveh, which meant like, okay, I'm in Pittsburgh, I have to go to Monroeville. And that's not the case. In fact, Nineveh, I think we have it up here, Nineveh is, in, is 800 miles away. 800 miles away from Israel. Okay, and so if you look at the image on the screen here, it's actually in a country called Assyria. Assyria is modern-day Iraq. So if you're in Israel, you have to walk 800 miles to get to northern Iraq, and the closest place where Nineveh was is in our modern-day Mosul, okay? So when, uh, during Operation Iraqi Freedom, when, they were, when our soldiers were kind of trying to liberate the area of Mosul, that's the area where Nineveh used to be. So Jonah was supposed to walk from Israel all the way 800 miles to Nineveh. That's where he was supposed to go. God told him to go there to do what? 
to preach against it. Now, it's very important for us to understand Jonah knew exactly what that meant. Because in the Bible, when God tells someone to go preach to something, to give a message of something, most commonly, the idea is, I want you to, be, to, to come to a place of repentance. You are about to receive judgment if you don't change your ways. So much of Scripture is not about God being angry. It's about God confronting, and we'll get to this later, but God confronting a problem and addressing that problem in order for salvation to take place. And Jonah knew that. Jonah knew exactly that God wanted to send him to Nineveh, to Assyria, to preach to the people of Nineveh and to tell them, you need to to change your ways so that you can be saved or judgment will be coming. Consequences will be coming. Jonah had no interest in doing that. Why? Well, because Assyria had been at war with Israel for a very long time. The nation of Assyria or the empire of Assyria have, had, have sent their warlords, have sent their armies down into Israel and for years for years, Jonah's family, Jonah's friends, the empire of Israel had fought battle after battle after battle. Family members had died. Kings had died. Friends had died. They fought. Their cities had been destroyed back and forth, back and forth. What kind of a person would want to go preach a message of forgiveness and repentance and salvation to their enemy? I think about stories that I've heard from World War II. Or stories from Vietnam. You've maybe seen this in movies or even in documentaries. Or maybe even you know someone in your family who, who's been like this. The individuals who have fought against the Japanese or they fought against the Vietnamese or maybe the Germans. And for a long time, those soldiers had a hard time seeing them as human beings. They were known as nothing but derogatory terms, right? We know this. We've seen this. That, that for a long time, the soldiers who came back had hatred in their heart for those people that they fought against. It's not easy to, to flip a switch and to, to think, oh, this was just about war, and now all of a sudden I, I can just see you as a normal person walking down the street. For years, individuals who had fought in those wars would see a face that was familiar on the battlefield and imagine the memories that it brought into their heart, the hatred or the frustration or the prejudice that would come to them. This is what Jonah was facing in this moment. God told him to get up and go to a foreign nation, the place that had brought misery and destruction to his own family, to his own, his own nation, his own race of people, and to bring a message of salvation. Jonah knew God's desire, and he could not get past his own prejudices, his own hatred, his own memories. So what did he do? He fled. Where? To Tarshish. We have another picture on the map. Tarshish. Two possible locations. I did some study on this. If we're looking over here, this is Israel on the right side of the map, the Mediterranean Sea. This is Nineveh, which is 800 miles northeast, okay? The first possible location of Tarshish is in Sardinia, which is an island off of Italy. But another location, which is also equally as likely, is over here on the south coast of Spain, Okay? Now, I want you to understand the distance. God told Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh, which was 800 miles. Sardinia is 2,000 miles away. And the south coast of Spain is in another 1,000 miles away. In other words, Jonah was literally fleeing from God's presence double or triple the amount of distance from where God told him to go. What does that mean? The symbolism of this moment essentially is, God, I want nothing to do with what you have for me in this moment. I 
I hate these people so much that I would rather lose everything that I've ever had. I'd rather lose your presence. I would rather walk away from my family. I would rather do anything except do the thing that you want me to do for my enemy. That is what's happening in the story of Jonah. Could you imagine that? And I don't think this is that far off from what we do as people. Think about it for a second. The emotions that we feel, the struggle that we feel regarding our, 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 our pain in our hearts of people who've hurt us. Forgiveness, right? We will go to great lengths to not forgive the people who have hurt us. Maybe not 3,000 miles by distance, but 3,000 miles in our heart. We will oftentimes go the opposite direction of what God is pushing us towards. He's trying to bring reconciliation, trying to bring healing in our lives or the lives of those people that we've been involved in, that we have influence over. And oftentimes we will go the opposite direction. So what we really learn is, if we're taking notes, is that prejudice gets in the way of God's plan. Prejudice gets in the way of God's plan. It got in the way of Jonah's plan, or God's plan for Jonah's life. God's plan for Jonah was to continue being a prophet, deliver the message of hope, deliver the message of of peace, and that God is a good God, that God wants to save even if you're an enemy and that you've done things that are terrible, that, that no one is too far. God wanted Jonah to be a part of that plan, but Jonah chose other plans. His prejudice blocked him from that. The sailors in the boat, God had plans for them. Their lives, their plan was to go to a family, perhaps someone on that ship Perhaps they were delayed from visiting a loved one who was ill. And maybe by the time they got there, that person had passed away. Jonah's prejudice ultimately derailed that plan for their lives. The people of Nineveh, who knows what had happened between the time when Jonah was was called and was supposed to arrive in Nineveh. How many people, how many crimes took place? Or how many many deeds were taking place that caused them to, to fall into greater sin or different problems? Who knows whatever it is. Prejudice gets in the way of whatever God had planned for each one of us. And the same thing was true of Jonah. And it's important for us to understand that when something gets in the way of God's plan, that that thing will then soon find itself on a collision course with confrontation. And so really, not only is the story of Jonah a story of prejudice and hatred competing against God's redemptive love, the story of Jonah is a story of confrontation. It's a story of confrontation. And here's a couple places that God confronts. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first is confrontation with Nineveh's sin. The whole story begins, very first chapter, go to Nineveh. Its sin has risen up against me. Listen, Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to continue our story right here. The word of the Lord now came a second time to Jonah. Imagine for a second, Jonah is now slimy, laying on the beach, right? He had just come out of the belly of a fish. And he's prayed to God, and he's thinking, oh, I'm so glad I could see life again. I can't even imagine how he would feel. And God says, okay, are you ready? Are we good? Okay, here's what I want you to do. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. So he obeyed this time. I probably would too. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. And you can just feel it. Yes, that's what I want for the city. That's Jonah's heart, right? Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. They understood 
This is, this is a, a cultural thing. When people were faced with mourning or some great uh, level of, of tragedy, they would cover themselves in sackcloth, and, and like, which is like a burlap material, and they put dust on their head. That was a, a tradition of the time symbolizing mourning. They had just heard that the God of the reputation of Jonah, the one who has the power to do all that. They've all heard the stories of, of Moses and, and freeing from Israel, from Egypt, right? They've heard these stories, and the God of the Israelites was this guy, and that Jonah was the one declaring that. So they knew, oh, my gosh. He's saying that our city's about to be demolished. What did they do? Tragedy. My life is over. Everything that we've known is done. So they did the traditional, covered themselves in a death ceremony. They said they were sorry. They didn't want to do it anymore. Skip down to verse 10. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So apparently, Jonah's message of judgment, repentance, listen, this is about to come to you. You don't have to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. You don't have to be like these cities that have been destroyed. You can change. And they did. God saw that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. You know, this story of Jonah begins with confrontation. God always cares about sin. He always cares about sin and its destructive nature. And this is where it applies to us. God will always bring us face to face with the thing that keeps us from him. And a lot of us have chosen in our lives to run the opposite direction, just like Jonah did. But the things that keep us from it's not that God doesn't want us to have fun. It's not that God doesn't want us to enjoy our lives, and oftentimes that's what we think, that sin is fun and that God is boring. And the reality is is that sin is destructive and it's chaotic, and it creates a space for us to be alone and destroyed, whereas God is so far away from us where we can't get the life that he meant for us. We end up alone. We end up broken. That's what sin does. So God loves us so much that he's always willing to confront that confronting it. He will not allow us to stay there. And the call is always to repent from it, to give us the chance to return before consequences take hold. It's not too late for you. It's not too late for you. Stop. It's not too late for you. The confrontation with Nineveh's sin. The story of Jonah is about confrontation, not just with Nineveh's sin, but with Jonah himself. The second confrontation is with Jonah's hatred. Look at what happens next. Jonah 4, verse 1. Check this out. Many of us probably have not even read this. Jonah was greatly displeased and furious. Greatly displeased and furious. He had already spent three days inside of a whale, right? He had already gone through a horrible storm, was stranded in the middle of the ocean, did what he was told to do, and is angry at God. Why? He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country, that's why I fled 3,000 miles away in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. That's a good God, isn't it? And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is bitter for me to die, better for me to live, die than to live. Are you kidding me, Jonah? Like, Hatred, complete prejudice, discrimination against people. He was angry. He was actually angry that God is merciful towards his enemies. I often think about this. You know, when people have said things like, I'm frustrated that a God would save a man like Jeffrey Dahmer, right? If you've heard the stories of serial killers who have found themselves on death row, and in those times they've, they've, uh, you know, 
search the scriptures and realize that salvation was available to them because the Bible doesn't say that you can be saved up until the point of your death and then if you just decide at the end that's sorry for you. That's not what it says. The Bible says that faith is what saves us, that mercy and grace and forgiveness is available to all of those who repent. So if Jeffrey Dahmer or any other individual who we hold up as this vile person If they turn their ways, according to what we see in the story of Jonah, the Ninevites, the Assyrians, the evil, the worst of the worst, the ones who murdered and destroyed and pillaged, all of those people, God has mercy for them. All of them, there's mercy available for them. And what we see here is that he is so frustrated and so angry that God would pour out his mercy. It reveals this hatred that's deep-seated prejudice deep within his heart. And what happens? It says, the Lord asked him, is it right for you to be angry? What right do you have to hate? Who are you to judge, God says. And God says, I'm paraphrasing here, right? I understand what you've been through. It's not a surprise to me. I've seen it, but they are not any different than you are. All the things that you have been through, the things that they have done to you, they are still people. They are still humans. I love them just as much as I love you. And wouldn't you, Jonah, want the same mercy shown to you? If you were flipped in the circumstance, if you had done awful things, if you knew the mistakes you had made, the pain you had caused other people, you in this church today, would you not want the same mercy shown to you? That's what God is saying to Jonah. Look what your hate has gotten you. Look where it's taken you. It's poisoned your heart. When you're angry about something as beautiful as mercy and grace, hatred and prejudice always get in the way of God's plan. It also devalues what God calls precious. God says that every human being is made in the likeness, in the image of God, which means we all carry value. Beauty, wonder of who God is inside of us. Jesus Christ came to give life. He died on a cross and rose from the grave to give us freedom. Every one of us. Jared and Jeffrey Dahmer. It doesn't matter. All of us. And it reveals how we truly feel when we see our enemies, those who have hurt us, understanding that God loves them just as much as he loves us. Just like Jonah. If you harbor hate... If you harbor prejudice, you are on a collision course with God. God confronted Nineveh's sin. God confronted Nineveh's, or Jonah's hatred. And finally, we see a confrontation with Jonah's assumptions. And I believe that God wants to challenge our assumptions today as well. Let's continue reading Jonah 4, verses 5 through 11. Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. It's like he's still waiting. He's like, well, maybe I'll get lucky and God will bomb the city anyway. You know? Like maybe they'll get what they deserve. Then the Lord God appointed a plant. And this is an interesting little moment here. And the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for its head, his head to rescue him from his trouble. Thanks, God. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. What the heck is going on here? Here's what's happening. 
we're about to see, this is the setup of a great, a great like moment where God is like about to like just kind of drop the hammer on Jonah, okay? As the sun was rising, verse 8 says, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost faded, and he wanted to die, and he said, it's better for me to die than to live. I mean, he's like having this horribly emotional moment. And then God asked Jonah, is it right, Jonah, for you to be angry about the plant Watch out, Jonah. It's a trap. Like, it's coming. God is about to wreck your assumptions, Jonah. Jonah goes, yes, it's right. He falls right into God's hands. I am angry enough to die. So the Lord says, I'm I'm sorry. You cared about the plant, which you did not labor over, and you did not grow. It did not grow it. It appeared in a night, and it perished in a night. But I'm sorry. May I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who can't distinguish between their right and their left as well as many animals. Slap right across the face. Jonah, right, fell right into it. You knew what was coming, Jonah. Are you kidding me? Jonah assumed that God saw things the way that he did, Right? Jonah assumed that he was special, that the people of Israel were special, that they were chosen by God, that somehow they were better than everybody else, but that others weren't as special or as valuable as they were. Jonah assumed that God saw the Ninevites as enemies, worthy of destruction. But God confronted Jonah's assumptions that God could not be kept in a box. That's really what we're seeing here. God decided, no, Jonah, I'm going to show you that I don't think the way that you do. I don't see things the way that you do. I don't see them as vile individuals beyond repair, beyond hope. I don't see things that way. You can't put me into your box of understanding. God confronted Jonah's hypocrisy. And he cared more about a plant than he did about the human beings, the men, women, children, animals who were going to be destroyed. He would rather see them. What did it say about his value of life? On a side note, this is the kind of thing that people have problems with when we talk about abortion or those kinds of things. If you care about life, it's not just about an abortion clinic. It's about whether or not people have food in their refrigerators. You understand? Life is important to God, not just this one moment where it ends. And Jonah's struggle, Jonah's struggle wasn't that he didn't care about one person. It was that he couldn't see beyond his own assumptions, his own hypocrisy, to see that he would rather sit under a plant in comfort and watch a city burn. And God confronted that. He refuses to allow his people to, be, to treat other people this way. God confronted Jonah's inherent prejudice, his hatred, and his bias. And I have to tell you that we ultimately see all of that reflected in Jesus and how he treated people. Jesus was the opposite of that. Jesus constantly challenged assumptions. Jesus constantly would go to the people that the rest of his people felt like were the worst. You would never see people spending time with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was accused of being a drunkard and of being a glutton because he hung out with people at parties so often. Jesus constantly confronted the status quo of prejudice in the society, of discrimination and bias and hatred in his society. And God is confronting each one of us in the same way today. 
And this is a hard message. And y'all are sitting out there probably going, I want him to stop because I don't want to hear any more about this. I understand. Our world is full of pressures. People making everyone feel as though we are not, like we're a part of the problem. And sometimes we are. And this is not me coming down on you to say that you're racist or that you're a discriminating individual. You can only say that in your heart. God right now, I believe, is speaking and challenging you towards the things that, that you feel. And this is not just about race or prejudice in those areas. It's about your mother and your father. It's about your brother and your sister. It's about your co-worker, someone who's hurt you and your family. You still hold on to bitterness to. People that you will not, you can't move into a relationship with them. And I believe with all my heart that God is a God of redemption, of God of restoration, and a God of healing. What he wants is for people to be together, not be broken and separated. And that's what I believe God is. That's what the scriptures teach. And the story of Jonah is not about a freaking whale. It's not about a miracle that did or didn't happen. It's about whether or not we are allowing God to confront us in our places, the deepest places of hatred and guilt and shame and the places of bias and the way that we see other people when we choose to cross to the other side of the street so that we don't have to be possibly the one who might rob me. Or we, we take the ways direction of the Google Maps outside of a different neighborhood because we're worried about what, what might happen to us, right? All of these things, the subtle, small spaces, the decisions we make. No, I'm not going to call my mom back today because, because she hurt me yesterday. I'm going to keep the silent treatment onto my dad because of whatever it might be, whatever it might be, God is confronting that today because he is sick and tired of division amongst his people, amongst his children. I believe God is looking down at us on earth and he's looking and he's saying, I want relationships. I want love. I want healing. That's what he wants. And his people, those who are sitting here in this room today, if you call yourself one of God's children, we cannot act like Jonah any longer. We have to be people of reconciliation. We have to be people who will be the first and foremost to carry forgiveness, to carry grace, to carry mercy, to step across the street and to shake hands and to welcome people and to build relationships rather than break them. God is confronting each one of us. Are we a people who will love our enemies? Are we a people who will serve our enemies? Will we forgive those who've hurt us and build bridges toward reconciliation? Will we confront our own prejudices and biases and intentionally move against them? Will we seek out, seek out those who are different than us? and forge relationships so that they can see that God is a God of all people. You know, many people don't have a good picture, a true picture of who God is because of what we do or the lack of what we do. There are people who want nothing to do with God, the God that we serve, the one that we know is so gracious and full of love and mercy. So many of us in this room have experienced that love, that hope, that healing presence, and yet our gay family members or our gay friends want nothing to do with our God because they see us as people who hate them. Do you understand? The people who need God the most can't see him for who he is because we will not allow ourselves to be uncomfortable. That's the story of Jonah. Will we confront racism? Will we confront discrimination, sexism, prejudice when we see it and condemn it so that people will know that God is for them? Will we be those people? That is the message of the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah is a cautionary tale 
for each one of us. Would you stand with me and pray? God, you are, you are complex. Your word is challenging. I feel so convicted today in my own life. You have confronted me this week with my own hypocrisy. This is not a message about white privilege. This is not a message about who has this and who doesn't have that. It's about our hearts. It's about if we're going to call ourselves representatives of Jesus Christ, of God the Father, the one who gave everything so that we could know him, then our hearts have to be in the right place. They have to match his. And God is not a God of discrimination. He is not a God of prejudice or bias or hatred. God is a God of love, a God of reconciliation, a God of grace, a God of mercy, about rebuilding relationships, rebuilding bridges, about tearing down walls. God, we want healing in our life. We want healing in our relationships. We want healing in our cities and around our world. God, let the message of Jonah sink deep into our hearts and convict us. First, God, we pray against sin that separates us. Just like with Nineveh, your first call is repentance. Guys, each one of us in the room today, I believe the Holy Spirit is convicting us of our sin, the things in our area, the things in our lives, the areas of our heart that are separating us from him. Whether you have a relationship with him or you never have begun a relationship with God, there are things in our lives that push us away, that are creating distance between us and our creator. We need to repent of that today. And when we do, we come into a place where we say, Father, forgive me. I'm sorry. I keep making this mistake. And that's not from a place of of condemnation. No, he looks at us with love and with grace and mercy. And he says, just like the people of Nineveh, just turn from your ways. And you you will be able to find salvation and hope. And if you want to know Jesus today, if you want that that grace, you want to know the God who would go to great lengths, 800 miles of his enemies and look down at them and say, I love you. If that's you today or anyone in this room today who wants to repent of the things that are going in their life that keep them from God, the things that they know are unhealthy, you want to repent from that. I just want to lead you in a prayer today as one church, as one family. If this is your first time or whether this is the time where you're just saying, I want to recommit, just follow after me. Everyone out loud today say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm sorry for the way I've acted. I repent. I will change my ways. I choose to follow you. I want to walk with you. I believe in you. Help me to follow you. Today and tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to pray. Listen, if you made a decision this morning to follow Jesus for the first time, do not leave today without talking to me about it. I have a Bible for you. I have a little book called Learning to Follow Jesus. You can also find it at the Connection Center. It's it's like a seven-day guide to beginning your walk with Jesus. Don't leave today. You can't do this alone. You need to walk with other Christians. Come talk to me. We'll continue to pray. Let's pray now against the hatred that poisons us. Father, there are things in our lives, prejudices in our lives. There are 
discrimination, our choices, the way that we see people that divide us from your children, that divide us and, and destroy relationships and poison our hearts and the hearts of other people. God, we repent of those today. I repent of racism. I repent of sexism. I repent of bias. I repent of, of all the things, the guilt in my life that keeps me and all of us away from people. God, I repent that of the areas that I have looked at other people as less valuable, whether depending on the color of their skin or not, their social status is the way that I've judged people. I repent of those things. And everyone in the room, you do the same thing now. If God has convicted your heart of these things, tell him you're sorry and he will forgive you and he will continue to cause healing in your life. If there are relationships in your life, your mom or your dad or a son or a daughter or someone close to you, someone maybe years and years and years ago, back in high school or in middle school, someone has hurt you and you've carried that 20, 30, 40 years today and you still have that and it hurts you, I believe God wants to heal you of that this morning. But you have to let it go. You have to repent of holding on to that hatred and that that just that 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 sort of that bias and that, that anger and discrimination. In Jesus' name, I repent of those things. And now, Holy Spirit, bring healing. Bring peace into a place that has been so so infected for so long. In Jesus' name, right now, I believe that's happening around this room, that people are receiving healing in their life, in their heart for areas that they've held on to for so long. You've got to let it go. Just tell them, God, I give this up. I'm done with it. I'm not going to be bitter anymore. I'm not going to hold on to this anymore. Forgive me, God. I don't want this anymore. Heal me. Bring, bring healing in my heart, in my life. I forgive them. I forgive them. I forgive them. And God, we ask finally for the assumptions that blind us to be removed. We ask that you would remove those blinders off of our eyes. You would open our eyes to see people the way that you do. To remove the assumptions of other people and the way that we see their religion, the way that we see their home circumstances, the way that we see the, the way that they dress, whatever it might be that we assume, even your the assumptions about who you are. God, I'm sorry for thinking that, that I'm special, that I'm better than other people. Whatever it is, God, in my heart or in your heart, I just repent of that right now, God. Let us see you for who you truly are and how you love people, the magnitude of your love, the miracle of your grace that it is impossible to do anything that would cause us to be so far gone, anyone to be so far gone that your grace can't reach it. Open our eyes. Challenge those assumptions in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.